0: Welcome to For a Good Time Listen, where we answer the questions you're too afraid to ask. Today we have Dr. Kate who is just she's amazing. She is a licensed psychologist, she's a certified sex addiction therapist and sex therapist. She founded Modern Intimacy. She's a contributor at Poosh, which is Courtney Kardashian's site. She's also a contributor at Insta Single. She is so legit with over 14 years of experience. She's done everything from forensic evaluations to testifying in court. She's also writing multiple books right now that we'll get into that later. Ladies and gentlemen, today we have Dr. Kate. Well, hi. Thank you so much for having me on your
1: show. This is awesome. Of course,
0: I kind of want to just dive right into it. I have so much to talk about with you. So much to ask. Yeah, let's do it. One of which is that May is the month of masturbation. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with this whole quarantine thing. and. For me I'm single. So, what do you how do you feel about like masturbation and quarantine? Like is this just like the perfect time to learn about yourself?
1: <laughs> yes. Um I think, you know, one of maybe the the little lemonade moments out of this quarantine is that it does give people an opportunity to kind of reinvigorate their self-love regimen. And this is especially true for people who are single and don't have a lot of opportunities because none of us have a lot of opportunities to go out and be social in a physical way with people. So this is um, a really great coincidence that May is a month dedicated to exploring your relationship to masturbation and really kind of, you know, thinking a little bit more deeply about it and maybe trying some new things.
0: I love it. And there's been such a rise in the consumption of porn and the creation mm-hmm. of like OnlyFans accounts what's your opinion on that in terms of like when we talk about sex addiction because porn consumption is definitely something that contributes to that do you think we're going to see a rise in sex addiction after quarantine
1: well let's just kind of take a step back for a second because there are so many great questions in that question I want to break them down <laughs> So first of all, when it comes to quarantine and seeing a rise in only fan accounts and definitely an uptick in porn streaming memberships, um, I think Pornhub saw a huge uh, spike in their stock price. And it's no surprise because when we're alone, first and foremost, we tend to go into these unconscious patterns of feeling like we're not going to get any resources toward connection, toward sex, yeah. toward intimacy. And so it automatically, I think, compels people to want to seek it out more. Plus, if you don't have a really robust set of hobbies that you can do by yourself, there's not a whole lot else to do. But, you know, <laughs> <Sure>. spend, <laughs> spend time with yourself that way. So I think people are really kind of coming up against this double-edged, I guess, uh, panoply of primitive survival instincts where it's like, I'm bored, I don't know what to do, and there's not really a whole lot that I can do, so this feels good. And people you know, are making more money doing only me accounts, and they're trying to really hustle and be innovative and take care of themselves and survive that way too. So I think that's part of why we're also seeing an uptick in the creation of those accounts.
0: Yeah, 100%. So what when we talk about sex addiction, what are some of the early signs? What can people like look for in themselves to kind of seek a better understanding of that?
1: It's a great question. <clears throat> There's a lot of misunderstanding about what sex addiction is and what it isn't out there in the world. And even amongst clinicians, there is some controversy and pretty big differing opinions about whether or not sex addiction is a thing. So let me just clarify what sex addiction is as it's conceptualized for a moment. Like any kind of addiction, the thing that someone's addicted to is not a problem in and of itself. It's only a problem if it creates negative consequences in their life and they try to stop and can't stop, right? So when we think about like alcohol Some people can have a relationship with alcohol that's really fun. And maybe sometimes they overdo it a little bit, but they never really are in a compulsive relationship with drinking. Sex is kind of the same thing. Sometimes people can become so compulsive in their sexuality that it takes up all of their emotional bandwidth and they start to notice that they're a lot more preoccupied with thinking about sex, preparing to be sex. Uh, sexual, finding opportunities to be sexual. And I think one of the earliest cues that someone might have a compulsive relationship with sex is that they're spending a lot of time either preparing for or being in the ritual. And they're starting to feel maybe some emptiness after they have um, a sexual experience that may or may not end in orgasm. But usually the arc is that the most pleasure they get is in that ritual preparation to be sexual, like seeking out who am I going to talk to tonight? Who am I going to find? What am I going to wear? Where should I go? Or like preparing to get ready, putting on their makeup, their Mm -hmm. cologne. Yeah. That sort of ritualistic behavior, we see that in lots of different activities. We see it in sports. We see it in, you know, how we get ready for work in the morning or even going out with friends But when it applies to sex, it's really important to notice that the dopamine that gets released in our brain around the feel goods Mm -hmm. start in the ritual. And so that ritual can be kind of containing for people's emotions. And it's a really important function of the addiction cycle. So I would say, look for rituals. I would say, look for feeling kind of shame bound or feeling despair after a sexual experience, because that might tell you that in fact, the pleasure was so short lived and it might've been, you know, kind of a, a, an emotional regulation technique. And so now that the sexual activity is over, you're back to feeling those feelings that you didn't want to feel in the first place. So that can be a part of it. And then also looking at things like tolerance, right? So needing to be sexual more frequently or needing more and more new experiences to achieve the same kind of pleasure or more extreme kinds of stimuli to experience the same kind of pleasure.
0: Do you think more extreme stuff, like if you're maybe per se into BDSM or something along the lines of that, is that a sign of sex addiction or can that just be like what you're into?
1: It can totally just be what you're into. And I think that's where there's a lot of controversy around does sex addiction even exist because the the quality or the flavor if you will of someone's sexual behavior has nothing to do with whether or not it's compulsive. Yeah. Right. And people can be engaged in really healthy BDSM dynamics with partners. They can be engaged in very healthy polyamorous dynamics. Yeah. They can be engaged in very healthy, monogamous dynamics. And then they can also have all of those experiences in a compulsive, dissociative way. And that's where it starts to look addictive.
0: Yeah. So if someone necessarily like doesn't have the means to seek out a licensed therapist for sex addiction problems, what is some things that they could do to maybe practice on their own to help with those urges?
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked that question because there is a free fellowship for people who might be struggling with um, compulsive of sexual patterns called Sex Addicts Anonymous or Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. And these are free fellowship programs that people can go and participate in. And that can give people so much support and really practical tools to like help them get containment around their addiction.
0: So there is sex addiction, but there is also love addiction. Mm -hmm. What is the difference and what does love addiction look like?
1: Such a great question. Okay. I'm going to try to go through this cycle of love addiction really fast, okay? So basically, when someone is in a love addicted cycle, they are idealizing or projecting this amazing fantasy onto the person that they have a crush on, let's say. Because if that fantasy were true, it would mean something about them, like they would be safe or they would be loved or they would be good enough. And so in a love addicted cycle, there's a lot of motivation unconsciously for people to deny reality that doesn't align with this fantasy. So what I mean by that is people will kind of get an idea in their head about who they want to be with. And then whether or not their partner shows up that way, they're going to still sort of see them in this really glowy, dewy, wonderful light and want to be with them because they're basically trying to get a lot of unmet needs figured out by believing that this relationship is a certain way. So what happens is they kind of go through life and they'll push away the red flags or they'll minimize and justify things that don't align with what their fantasy is until one day the fantasy just implodes because there's something that happens in reality that's just too big to ignore. So it might be that they find out this person's been seeing other people or maybe this person says, I don't want to be with you anymore or something like that. Right. And that can set off a cascade of uncomfortable feelings for them, like despair, rejection, panic. And it's very similar to the kind of withdrawal symptoms that you might experience when you stop using a substance compulsively. People's appetite changes, their ability to sleep changes, you know, they might experience like increased heart rate, panic responses, things like that. So then they start going into um, a period of obsession because obsessing is really a function of hypervigilance. And so when our brain thinks, uh-oh, my love supply isn't available to me anymore, that's really traumatic. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Our brain's like, that's not cool. I might not be okay, right? And so our brain goes, let me think about every single thing I can try to anticipate to try to solve this problem. So they go into like a rumination. They think about things like, well if only i'd been more attractive or if only i'd been nicer or if only this or what about that and they do sort of a a bargaining with themselves in their mind about what could have been different what might be different if and sometimes that rumination or obsession can start to encroach on other people's boundaries so they might start looking on social media and stalking them to see what's happening there and in some more extreme cases We've seen that look like in-person stalking and even domestic violence and intimate partner homicide. So, you know, this obsession can take people into a really dark place. It's meant to be a survival strategy used by the brain, but sometimes it can sort of get a little unruly. But eventually their mind will kind of restabilize, they'll go back to their original baseline, and then they'll enter into a new relationship, either Or I should say, a new fantasy, either with the same partner or with someone new. So that's sort of the gist of a love addiction cycle.
0: Do you see a correlation between love addiction and then gaslighting?
1: Definitely. (laughs) Definitely. So when someone is really motivated to stay in a relationship, they're often more unconsciously motivated in seeing what they want to see. And so when someone recognizes that and takes advantage of that, and says, no, 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 I'm not actually cheating on you. You're crazy. You misperceive that you're making it up unconsciously. They well, consciously too. They really want that to be true. Right. And so they want to believe that this partner cares about them is being truthful with them and that they're a safe Harbor. So people who are in a love avoidance cycle or who are Um, exploitative in some way, not necessarily. People who are in a love avoidance cycle are not always exploitative. There's two different things there, but in either event, you know, they're trying to either fit the mold of what they think is expected of them or take advantage of someone's vulnerabilities, right? And so that often can come with a lot of gaslighting because they are invested in this person seeing them in a certain light, right? So it can definitely be a lot of gaslighting when somebody is in a more vulnerable state
0: and i feel like gaslighting is a term that's coming to the surface a lot lately Mm -hmm. and i feel like it can go hand in hand with with another term that's i feel like also coming to the surface which is ghosting Mm. what what motivates someone to kind of do that like what's the psychology behind that
1: behind gaslighting or ghosting or both i guess both (laughs) Well, let's start with ghosting because it happens a lot. Yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons why people are ghosting more and more now. One, we're using technology so we're so much more able to talk to people. So our the number of people that we're interacting with is increased. You know, based on what it was 30 years ago or even 10 years ago, really. So, I think some people get really overwhelmed with the amount of pressure that it puts on them or that they put on themselves by talking with lots of different people and they can't sort of regulate their own accountability and so they don't want to face the uncomfortable feelings of having to tell someone to their face like hey we're just not a good fit and so that conversation is really hard to have when you have to have it with maybe 10 people so i think it's it's easier for some people to just say peace out thanks for the memories except they don't even say that they just stop responding
0: It's so strange. It's definitely has to do with the online dating.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the other part of it. With an increase of technology, we see each other through the buffer of a screen. And so our brain is like, I know that's a person, but it doesn't really feel like a person because they're not in front of me. Right. And so we see people with a slightly less humanized way there's that buffer. Maybe there's a little anonymity. They don't know my last name. They don't know where I live. They don't know where I work. There's no consequences. So I can be a jerk.
0: Oh, That's terrible. Just the stories that I've been hearing. like Mm -hmm. All of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But I definitely, I also wanted to talk about your book. Okay. Which has an amazing title. Fuck You, Fuck Me, Rage, Sex, and Money, and Relationships in Modern Society. Mm Mm-hmm. What? Are we going <laughs> to see with
1: that I'm so excited. Well, Well, thank you. I'm excited for this book to come out. Um, hopefully it'll be out at the start of 2021. Fuck You, Fuck Me is a book that needs to be written because all over the place, human beings are weaponizing sex and money to get their basic human dependency needs met. Yeah. And what that means is, you know, we're really angry. So this book is about how... Money and status and sexuality have been co-opted in the expression of our anger over not getting our needs met for safety, for security, for worthiness, for connection, for you know, any kind of emotional like thread. And so when we esteem ourselves with the way we look or the kind of car we can buy, or we create a context in relationships where we say to people, well, I'll give you this if, or I'll do that for you. if." We don't always have those conversations explicitly. It's more so implicitly, right? And we start to objectify each other sexually and financially, and it just leads to a huge shit show of unmet needs just perpetuating because mm-hmm. people don't actually connect. They just yeah. have a pseudo-intimacy when they use money and sex as the conduit mm-hmm. for that conversation.
0: So I feel like that topic or that discussion can almost relate back to the OnlyFans situation, but also mm-hmm. it can almost relate to like sugar babies and sugar daddies and that dynamic. How do you mm-hmm. feel that dynamic? Like what what's going on in a mental state for someone to want to seek out
1: that a sugar daddy or a sugar baby because they're different motivations
0: yeah not like both yeah
1: well I think ultimately what we're talking about is people who are looking for intimate security and connection and they don't feel like they can get it in some ways and so they get really crafty unconsciously and start to find ways to secure attachment without being as vulnerable as they might have to be otherwise. So it's a much um, easier set of mental gymnastics for some people to make to say, love is really scary. And I don't, um, I don't actually want to get hurt again. But if I just arrange my life in this way, I can get a little bit of what I need and I don't have to take as much of a risk. And so that happens in both directions. You know, I would say it's not a problem unless it's a problem. Okay. So if people want to go into that kind of a dynamic and they're really candid with each other and themselves, it can work out really well. You know, it can be a very healthy consenting companionship that people organize in a way that works for both of them. Oftentimes that's not the scenario because people aren't as mindful about setting up the the context. So it can lead to people getting hurt or their desires for security, safety, and connection actually not being met.
0: And could that even lead to something more serious mental illness-wise for maybe the sugar baby, let's say, like, could that almost result in a form of PTSD or would that be?
1: Well, I would say, and definitely I've seen it go in both directions where one partner can be wildly exploited Sometimes they can be physically, physically, sexually, or financially abused, emotionally abused. And so, yes, whenever we are using sex and money as weapons to get our needs met, there's the risk of getting even more hurt. And that can definitely lead to traumatic symptoms in the future for people. And often when you think about it, what compels people into those dynamics is often trauma from the get-go. And they're looking to kind of organize safety for themselves. And oftentimes they end up pair bonding or trauma bonding with people who they end up in what we call a trauma repetition with, and they kind of play out the same patterns over and over again.
0: And for people that don't know, what exactly is a trauma bond?
1: Great question. So a trauma bond is when people develop really strong connections most of the time, it's a love connection with someone who is abusive to them or neglectful of them. And you, know, you might liken it to something like Stockholm Syndrome, where somebody becomes really bonded to this person and it's a toxic dynamic between the two of them. And they're not willing to let go or they have a hard time recognizing how the relationship is destructive to them, but everyone else around them can see it.
0: And with, like, we've talked about gaslighting, ghosting, trauma bonds. With those things, what does the recovery process look like? How can people mm-hmm. get out of those situations and move forward completely? Ah. Like hard situations to get out of?
1: They are. and I love this question. Thank you for asking it because it's it's tough. But what I will say is this, when people are ready to break out of an addiction or they're ready to leave an abusive or toxic relationship, One of the things that is first and foremost is establishing a really strong, supportive plan for self-care and getting people connected to a safe, trusting community. And that can be the most challenging piece is helping people reach out to community because often when someone is coming out of one of those kinds of relationships, they have a lot of shame or fear. And so it can be difficult to trust that somebody there can be a safe catch for you. But, but, that's really the first step. And then we start looking at how can they shore up their internal sense of self so that the things that were going on that compelled them into those relationships are no longer, you know, driving the bus for them. So what I mean by that is, you know if somebody feels like they're not good enough to be loved in the kind of way they would love to be loved, and that is why they settle for relationships where you know somebody's not as kind to them as they might like. Then we work really hard on helping them establish from the inside out that self-esteem so that they can build better boundaries and be able to say in the future, that doesn't work for me, and walk away, you know, feeling intact.
0: That's amazing. So let's lighten things up a little bit. <laughs> You started an amazing platform called Modern Intimacy.
1: Can you tell us more about that? Yes. So Modern Intimacy is both the name of my practice, but it's also a whole online platform that I'm building to bring together professionals and talk about intimacy from every different dimension in this modern world that we're living in. And it's a totally inclusive website. So it's built for everybody every walk of life. And, you know, we want to include topics that really kind of integrate every aspect of people's lives as it relates to their relationships and their mental health and their sexuality. So we're talking about things like how does spirituality play into that, different medical issues, how does that play into it? And then really kind of answering the questions that people don't even want to ask because they're unsure of how to ask it or they don't even know that they're dying to know the answer to. So (laughs) so that's what it's about. It's going to come out soon. And I have a ton of really great online workshops that will be available there because part of my mission is to help people get access to really well-developed and expert-driven resources, even if they don't live in an area where those professionals are um, plentiful.
0: That's mm-hmm. so great that you're doing that. Yeah. Spreading the knowledge, spreading the good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, where can everyone find you on social
1: media? So on Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Kate DrKateBalistrieri, B-A-L-E-S-T-R-I-E-R-I, or at The Modern Intimacy. And we do a lot of fun giveaways and... Yeah fun contests uh, contests and things like that in addition to just putting out a lot of information that we hope is helpful for people
0: amazing well thank you so much for coming on this has been great thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and letting us in on some things
1: well thank you you asked amazing questions I really appreciate it
0: being on thank you, thank you so much all right have a good one this is another episode of our good family Sense. Do you have any <laughs>